0: I'm reminded that these grand challenges know no geographical boundaries. They are not limited by ideology alone. They require humans to come together to figure out if there are problems, there must be a way to actually craft some solutions. Before his Stephen M. Kellen lecture, distinguished visitor Earl Lewis sat down with the Academy's Christina Gonzalez in this Beyond the Lecture interview.
1: Dr. Lewis, thank you very much for your time today here at the Academy, and we really appreciate you being here in Berlin.
0: It's my pleasure to be here. It's my first time in Berlin.
1: Your description of your Academy lecture, it says that the world is confronted by a growing list of grand challenges, from large-scale migration to climate change. My question to you is, what do you see as the biggest grand challenge facing us today?
0: I'm not sure we can actually identify one single grand challenge. If you look at the conditions of the world you realize that war and calamity has led to 50 million people being displaced and traveling, trying to find and secure a new home and new possibilities. That's created political turmoil, and not only in the Middle East and North Africa, but across Europe and into the Americas. That clearly is a grand challenge. If you live in the U.S. along the eastern seaboard, you're reminded on a daily basis that many of the cities uh, could actually be underwater uh, within the next 50 years. And thus a really sharp, way of reminding us and that climate change not those who may deny it uh, really does exist and it has consequences for all of us. That too is a grand challenge and when I think about uh, the world that we're part of I'm reminded that these grand challenges are really on no-no geographical boundaries. Uh, They are not limited by ideology alone. They require humans to come together to figure out if there are problems, there must be a way to actually craft some solutions.
1: That actually speaks to my next question, which is about the humans who you might see as being the appropriate conveners of solutions to these grand challenges.
0: Um, I actually think that This is a case where the public and private sectors together need to figure out how to work uh, to identify both the challenges and then the solutions. Um, I represent a private foundation in the United States. Clearly, there's a role for philanthropy to play. It's also the case that the governments themselves, uh, the federal governments across the world, need to come together, both within the context perhaps of the UN, but in singular forms too in the various coalitions to say, okay, can't we actually mobilize the best minds in and across our populations to really spend some time and work on these issues for the benefit of all?
1: And in the interest of time, I just want to give you the chance to give any last words or final thoughts or anything we might not hear in your lecture that you would like the listeners to know.
0: Well, part of the lecture is to remind us that in a world that since the late uh, late 1990s has come to value the importance of science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, and I think those STEM fields are extraordinarily important as we think about these grand challenges. But um, artists and humanists also have an important role to play in thinking about something like migration. If you imagine the story of migration and think of it as only a contemporary story, you actually miss a whole range of historical antecedents. And in some ways, there's an iconography of the migrant it goes back at least 700 years uh, that we can trace, if not longer. And the historian, the art historian, uh, the linguists all have something to say about this iconography. The ways in which there were visual images of the migrant, always as the outsider, uh, somewhat displaced uh, individuals and families that were dispossessed. Those images endured. How do we actually relate those images that are 700 years old to contemporary images? That's a case where then a STEM approach minus a humanistic approach or artistic approach actually leaves us with only a partial answer. The same thing could be said about um, climate change. I happened to visit rural villages in uh, Alaska last summer, and I was reminded in talking to the native peoples uh, in Alaska that they have a sense of climate change that's just as profound as any scientist because they have lived on the land and have watched it change within their own lifetimes. And they can talk in great volumes about what that change means for them and how it impacts not only their world, but our world. You've been listening to our Beyond the Lecture series, a podcast brought to you by the American Academy in Berlin. Our producer today is Christina Gonzalez in Berlin. I'm your host, R.J. McGill. For more details about the American Academy, please visit our website, americanacademy.de.